This is the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Eggenhart. And I'm Andrew Conway. Let's get on with the show. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. They don't know anything about English football. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It's the history of the Tottenham. (laughs) (laughs) But this action is really incredible. Incredible. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you you are an ostrich. Are you in a title battle fighting against two titanic teams? Are you drawing away to a decent mid-table side? In desperate need of a goal? Then there's only one maverick striker for the job. Devockery. He steps up again, Andrew. Bang! And the dirt is gone. Um, yeah, Honestly, I think he scored the goal of the season. Not in this match, but in the, in the match against Preston earlier on in the season. Um, he's already done enough to kind of earn another year at Liverpool in my books. Um, they, they couldn't make a breakthrough in that match and it, it required something special and even though the finish wasn't great and kind of it, it did look like it was the, the, the last straw on the camel's back that, that eventually broke uh, the, the the formidable defences and, and Liverpool were able to break through but yeah someone has to be there to do it and, and Divock Origi the, the Champions League winner the Premier League winner the voted the worst signing in league on history you know he's got all the major awards and it's just another another notch on his bedpost now yeah that that's truly a, a treble in its own right <laughs> that one <laughs> he's just like i'll never forget that 2014 world cup where he played a couple of games for belgium i can't remember was he coming off the bench in those games but he looked really good in those brief oh, yeah. minutes and uh you know it's funny how he's gone from that to being this weird guy who pops up with unusually important goals uh for for liverpool and this this one could be massive as well like considering you know chelsea had dropped points earlier in the day man city had been yet to to play though they would go on to beat watford uh in the evening so these three points were pretty important if they wanted to leapfrog at least Chelsea um, on Saturday. So, uh, you know, it came right at the end as well uh, on a day that had a lot of late goals. Uh, but this one was probably the most important of them all. Yeah, it was. And we don't know yet. It, it, it's early days in the season, as you as you have uh, told me multiple times in recent weeks. So it, it's maybe a bit early to, to count how important this that goal might be. But... If it is going to be as tight as, as it may come down to at the end of the season, it could every goal might count, every point might count, and and that could be a crucial win in in terms of of games coming thick and fast and needing to get results. Yeah, because like uh, you know they've got the the Champions League game coming up midweek now, Liverpool themselves, and Klopp was saying that I'd be my medical department would be killing me if I played the same starting eleven as against Wolves. So. We might see a bit more of Origi coming up this week. Uh, you know, that would be... Uh, could he send Milan out of the Champions League? That would be uh, another scalp to his name. Well, like, as we saw earlier in the season, despite Milan getting the goals against Liverpool, they, you know, Liverpool destroyed Milan in in those matches. They just couldn't get the finishing touch. And if you you need a guy who has a finishing touch, it's Divock Origi. And, like, he doesn't win it counts. And, and you know, Preston, Wolves, San Siro. <laughs> it, it, it just, it's what works. Yeah, a lot of people saying, you know, Mo Salah, is he the best player in the world right now? But most important, I think, is is, is this uh, this high-flying Belgian 
fella uh, that they've got on the bench and you know you forget he exists every for like 11 months of the year and then he just pops up with this uh unusually important goal or this game winning goal in, in this case and it's just funny how a team uh a team that seems to score so many goals still has this one guy that they need to just break glass in case of emergency to bring on <laughs> yeah like like in fairness to him like if he didn't do it he wouldn't still be at the club now you make a point about Liverpool, they're probably in a bit of pro- problem when it comes to the next few weeks if the medical team is starting to restrict minutes of their players. They don't have a big, deep squad, at least not one with a lot of experience or quality. Um, so the likes of Origi really have to make themselves be valued, I suppose, in the next few weeks and, and months, even in into January. And uh, yeah, <laughs> some player he is to, to, to really step up to the mark when you need him. Well, he could have a big role to play in January as well with uh, Salah and Mane both gone with uh, AFCON yeah, and, and yeah. Minamino as well will probably uh, get increased minutes in, in that case as well. But, That's something um, I haven't thought of with Liverpool is, is the impact of losing both Salah and uh, Sadio Mane because... That's going to be ooh. a big deal. Yeah, because like even looking around the other big, like Chelsea, the big title rivals, do they have anyone? Then, Mendy. You know, yeah, it's not really... Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that, given how important he's been to Chelsea and their and their defensive record, apart from this weekend, um, it is it is something to be said. And and then on Man City, is it just Mares that would be going? Is did Algeria make it to the the, the finals? I'm not sure. I think um, it's just Mares. Yeah, maybe one other that I'm missing in right now. Uh, I can't think in my head. Is there anybody else? I don't think there is anybody else. Not in the first. Mm. First. Uh, yeah, the the top of the the Man City pyramid, so so to speak. Um, yeah, so it, it will be very interesting to see how the other the other teams cope with that because yeah, Liverpool are going to maybe the checkbook will be opened in January to 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 loan somebody in maybe to keep them tiding over just for that January period because they could be gone for as long as how many six weeks is it if they get to the final and get a week off afterwards maybe. You're I into February they, at least. I think they could miss uh, as many as six Premier League games, you know, depending on how far. Obviously, uh, both what is it, Senegal and Egypt are the two uh, yeah. the two nations that they play for Liverpool. So, um, and is there anything yeah. else in that? Um, where is Watchman calling from? Kate, Kate, um, I believe will be going as well, but I'm not yeah. sure. And uh, is Matip uh, going to? Did Cameroon qualify? This is stuff I should have looked up before the. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Matip is going. Cause I think he's falling out with his FA. Oh, there a few years ago. Good news for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. For when he comes back. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like it, it will be very interesting to see how that one. Um, we'll probably talk about it in, in in future episodes. But yeah, the God, I never even really assessed. I didn't never thought of of Salah and Mane both being absent. You know, one misfortune is unlucky, but two is is a problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, back to talking about Liverpool and, and their nine misfortunes. Yeah, <laughs> is it coming around again. Like they were really will need to bring somebody in because I don't think there is like all jokes aside about Divock Rigi, he's no Sadio Mane, he's not Mo Salah, and even if you have Minamino in there, if you have uh, Firmino playing, you know both of them playing a full full pelt at a top top of their game, they're they're nowhere near the output of the other two. It would require a complete sea change of how Liverpool play, and even if it is only six matches, six matches is eighteen points. If Liverpool even managed to get nine points from those matches that'd probably be enough to dent their their league campaign the way the season has been has been bouncing along yeah and uh, it's going to be really interesting to see you know how they 
cope with that and i wonder will the kind of christmas break be a time where they maybe mix around the the rotation a little to try and experiment and you know there's a lot of games coming up as well anyway that they'd probably want to rotate for that even without afcon but uh, just to get a few players in and getting them a bit more minutes and you know in midfield they've been able to bring in alex oxley chamberlain and he's kind of had a resurgence up there for them maybe they can do the same with uh Arigi and Minamino and they do have you know Jota and Firmino as well so they won't be completely left bare but yeah they're they're missing two incredibly important players <laughs> yeah Jota is a more direct than Firmino and and does a bit more of the Sadio Mane work but there's no one of the creative force or the goal scoring force someone who's actually reliant who you can rely on to finish chances as, as Mo Salah let alone his creative force in 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 being able to craft chances out of things and and the way he's worked this season in a more of a it's been a slightly different way he's worked on that right hand side this season with, with, with Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Jordan Henderson or whoever they move on to that right hand side to, to inter, interchange positions um yeah it'll be hard to put another player in there because they won't have the same skill set and, and god who could even Liverpool get at the winter window that they could use and and then they'd have to integrate them in and this seems like a i know i know we're in december now but this seems like a massive oversight on Jurgen Klopp's part (laughs) for his summer transfer business well the uh the win did take them second this week above Chelsea who uh relinquished their lead of the lead of the league table this weekend because uh they lost 3-2 to West Ham these big title challengers love losing 3-2 to West Ham was Liverpool a few weeks ago and now it was uh Thomas Tuchel's side it was uh it was a weird goal from Arthur Masuaku that did them in uh in what was a bit of a weird game with uh Chelsea taking the lead twice and West Ham pegging them back and then it was an 87th minute goal it was a cross come shot that took a deflection and then Mendy just kind of pushed it in he couldn't get to it in time and uh big scalp for West Ham who remained fourth yeah like West Ham are confounding everybody including myself who I thought would have a pretty rough week and while they had part of that rough week they they managed to come out of the the matches that I didn't think they'd have much hope in uh such as this Chelsea game I thought Chelsea would probably power through and win this for the for the sake of the the upcoming kind of tough and uh, ever-present matches they're going to face the next four or five weeks but they fail to do it and it's probably a bad omen for the next few weeks to come because they're going to have to play a lot of high quality opponents over the next four to five weeks probably twice a week almost every week i think maybe next week they're off um next midweek they're off but other than that they're they're playing high high kind of um very i don't want to say aggressive but they're playing very um attritional opponents and that could really you know put back this side which is a team that's very much based on the the unit and being in control and being solid defensively and it just will wear on you over time if you don't really take the chances that you have and i think this was a match where they had chances they had opportunities and just couldn't execute them and and really a lot of that credit goes down to west ham and and their ability not only to contain uh, big arrivals when they when they come but i think this season is something that they they failed to do last season which was kind of carry it through to the end and and west ham have done that this time yeah, because uh, Chelsea's recent results have been kind of poor. Um, you know, they had the draw against Burnley before the international break. Then last week they, they drew at Manchester United. Then they got a, you know, Thomas Hugo described it as a lucky win against Watford. And you don't want to be winning a game against Watford where your manager describes it as lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, this game, they lost 3-2 to West Ham. And, you know, you talk about the attrition of it all. Uh, I think... Uh, 
you know, if you look at Liverpool and Man City, when they go 1-0 up or when they go 2-1 up, I don't know, do they let teams back into the game to win like they do, like Chelsea just did here? And Chelsea as well have been suffering from injuries. You know, they've lost um, Ben Chilwell. Uh, they've lost N'Golo Kante and Mateo Kovacic. And, Lukaku uh, was out for a good, like, six games or so after that Champions League injury. They've, you know... Players are only coming back in now that that mm. we would have expected to have been up to speed by this. Mason point. Mount, yeah, Mason Mount was out for a good while there. What he had a weird toe injury or something weird happened to him. It's something weird happened to him anyway because remember he was out for ages and it seems like a weird thing to get. Um, yeah, like they have been rotating the squad, so that could be part of this. You know, they they're they're kind of getting these, they're getting their players refresher minutes. Um, by by like introducing you know. Hudson Adoy playing a full match and, and Kai Havertz getting a rest or vice versa. Um and, and maybe that'll work for them as as the Christmas period comes around, but yeah, not if they get results like this. Yeah, because like they did have a bit of a decent cushion at the top of the table, but then they just, you know, Man City and Liverpool keep getting results and mm. they've let them back into it. And, and at this point, the way that they're playing, you know, they're they're they had that really good game against Leicester in amongst all those results, but the way Leicester as well have been playing as well, it's starting to look a bit more like it was a case of one team played well and one team played poorly and it led to a bit of a dominant performance. Mm. Um, so the way that they've generally been playing, it doesn't bode well for if they want to sustain a challenge against you know these two other teams that we know can keep going, can can win 14, 15 games on the trot if, if that's what's required. Um, you know, you look at this Chelsea side, and I, I just don't see them going on a big, massive winning run. Um, and and given the standard that those other teams have set in the last couple of years, that might be what's needed. Uh, even with the likes of Afghan coming in, or potential, you know, we don't know how COVID might affect things, or, or yeah. other normal potential injuries that uh, Man City and Liverpool could face. Yeah, the only thing, like a saving grace, if you want to call that. Like, I agree that Chelsea do look a bit like a cup team. I thought they did last season. And I think the propensity to, to drop points or the propensity to throw games, especially as they approach the Champions League final last year, kind of told me that they're a bit more of a cup team than they were an overall league winning team. Um, and I think the, the Hollywood style of, of player that they have is kind of more lends itself to, to winning cup competitions or one-off matches as they've proven that they, they are more than capable of doing or more than capable of putting in a performance. Like I'm thinking of Anfield earlier this season when the, their backs were up against the wall and they did it and a few other games as well. But can they sustain it and can they do it when ne- not necessarily everything goes your way as as it did against West Ham? And that's, that's a big concern for me. It's one of the reasons why... Chelsea never looked like convincing title challengers to me. Um, not even under Tuchel, two, 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 under previous management as well. Like I'm thinking, like times they wanted the last time they wanted under Conte and they wanted under Mourinho, it, it very much felt that they were the default team to win it, and they kind of just won it because nobody else was really able to to sustain anything that year. There were no other consistent teams in the league, and that I don't think is the way this season. Um, I think you have at least Liverpool and, and Man City who have been there and done that in recent years. Um, to kind of show up and, and presuming that nothing goes tremendously wrong in their seasons I don't know how that experience doesn't count extra for them and I know you know Chelsea have gone and won the Champions League they're, they're no pushovers they've got some phenomenal players in their squad they filled most of the gaps in there and they have brought basically two players from almost every position as, you, as it can be said from, from the injuries they've already suffered this season but they just don't have that that experience and that determination that, that I think exists in the Liverpool and Man City teams they might just have enough because of injuries or or absentees because of Afcon or other other you know 
externalities that can happen between now and the end of the season but I just on paper I just don't see it how, how they can really do it until the end and that's not even talking about the whole Chelsea curse of them eventually getting bored of the manager and sacking him and you know Tuchel's got six months left on my count so <laughs> I hope he makes it work you know for his sake yeah, because like the 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 whole story around Chelsea as well has been that you know obviously they they brought Lukaku back in after he left several years ago and there was a lot of money in that. He started off brilliantly with a couple of goals and everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's crazy to think they ever let him go." You know, there was talks of how great he was in Inter Milan and all that and how much he'd improved since he left England and and whatnot. And then he gets injured and and Chelsea actually keep playing quite well. And then there was a couple of really big results there somewhere without Lukaku. And people were starting to be like, oh, maybe actually this team might be better without Lukaku. Then they get a couple of injuries and they start playing poorly right when Lukaku comes back. So it's going to be interesting as well to see does Lukaku get a bit of the blame even though maybe there's other external circumstances as to why they're getting poor results because it's definitely something that I could see happening in the next couple of weeks if they continue to drop points and Lukaku gets back into the team and starts playing 90 minutes all the while they're missing the likes of Kante and Kovacic and Chilwell who were three relatively important players. Jorginho has started playing quite poorly lately as well without Kante alongside him or even without Kovacic alongside him. So, you know, that dip in performance there, like we've seen that cost them the goal against Manchester United hilariously. (laughs) You know, like... Well, he did. That that is something that can happen. He just lost the ball. (laughs) Yeah, it can. It was just quite funny (laughs) the way it happened. No, it was. It was. It it is. Well, I find that unfortunate when it happens. You know, it's... It's better when it's a quicker player, so that at least they can make an attempt to get back. But like, yeah, there wasn't and even then an attempt from Jorginho. He made the mistake as well that led to the the first West Ham goal for the penalty yeah. as well midweek. And Mendy as well, who you know you're right to say has been quite good this season. That was yeah. probably his worst performance of the season, which is really unfortunate timing as well for Chelsea. Yeah, like he, the problem with Mendy, I suppose, is probably consistency. Like he's not. There have been performances this season where he's had to make saves. I'm was it Palace they were playing earlier in the season? There was some performance that was phenomenal from Mendy and he Brentford. was the reason they Brentford. He was the reason they, they stayed in that game, to be quite honest. Um but then there's other games where he's he's not that called he's not called upon often. So there there might be a concentration issue there that uh, is probably not really a fault of his own, but he you know, when you when you come to into a big side like Chelsea, he's been there over a year now. Um and you were probably more used to kind of being busier certainly last season he would have been and then this season with the exception of those like that Brentford performance and a few other games uh, he's not been called on to do a great deal and and when he suddenly is out out of nowhere these these mistakes can happen he's still a young goalie so these things will always happen to a young goalie Um, so it's yet to be seen he I think he is a very good keeper and I think he's worked well with the defense that's been in front of him but maybe it's until the injury started creeping into that side, maybe they were giving him. It was giving him a little bit less to think about in a lot of regards. And when he's been called upon to do specific things, he's just made mistakes. And and unfortunately for a goalie, when you make a mistake, they often lead to goals. And then on Sunday, it was the case of Steven Gerrard versus Brendan Rodgers, the the former Liverpool player against the former Liverpool manager. It was the former player Steven Gerrard that came out on top with a two one win against Brendan Rodgers' Leicester side. Is Rodgers in trouble now? Oh no, I don't. Th- I don't honestly think so. Unless he, he's at risk of getting another bigger job. Uh, I think Leicester have been like that game against Villa. That was actually one of Leicester's better performances in recent times. I think they had they had Villa's number, and if it wasn't for poor finishing in the first half, particularly from Harvey Barnes and a few others, 
they would have been away clean and and gone and and the results you know completely um in not in question by half time but they didn't do it and again they fall victim to the same old problems that they're not defensively strong enough they're not able to cope um with with, with an organized set pieces really and uh they they conceded two goals uh for that ma- for that and um yeah i think i think villa could be proud of what they've done under gerard so far uh, i think he's exceeded my expectations i know there is people out there who really highly rate him i um very unusually kenny cunningham thinks he's a phenomenal manager which I don't know where he got that notion from, but he thinks he's a phenomenal manager and rates him very highly. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I, he thought that Villa getting Jared was a massive coup uh, for you know one of the biggest historically biggest clubs in England to to get a manager who has one job as his prior experience and that kind of went up and down in its time there. Um, so yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how the Jared experiment goes. But certainly he's he's passed his first big test, which is uh, getting past uh, an old adversary in 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 Brendan Rodgers because yeah, Gerrard is what four games in, in charge now and they've won three and lost one and the one was a 2-1 loss to Man City which you know isn't the biggest crime in the world no, no. Um, so you know that's a decent start for them obviously it's still you know so early in his reign that it's impossible really to say how much of an impact he's had but you know I've read some various things saying he, he's made a lot of changes in and around the team he, he, you know he's shown decent man management uh, moments it seems with bringing in some players who'd kind of been left out in the cold and kind of giving them a chance and even just putting them on the bench which uh, they weren't expected uh, under Dean, Dean Smith to even get so um, you know I think that's uh, probably you know the, the way I saw it described was you know anyone probably could have given Astabella a lift uh, based on where they were because you know the players had all just accepted that Smith was about to be sacked and had kind of stopped playing at that point so um, you know, you know, there's that to it as well, but it does sound like he's definitely reinvigorated a lot of players who, you know, could have been, you know, down in the dumps even with whoever came in. Um, so, and, and and the fact that he was able to bring in his coaching staff, most importantly, Michael Beale, I think, is the guy that's been credited as a as a very good right hand man for Jared when he was at Rangers. So, um, you know, he did have a good, he did do a good job at Rangers. It wasn't a case of like Frank no, Lampard. No, yeah, he won where, the league. He stopped yeah. ten in the row. Exactly. Um, Whereas when it comes to Frank Lampard, he went from a, you know a, you know a good season at Derby, got them to a playoff final. But have you final. seen the interview? Have you seen the interview? <laughs> I didn't. Lamp? Gary Neville. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not very good. I just say but that. but but the jump from Derby getting to a promotion playoff, which you know was around where they were at the time anyway. I think they got to the playoffs the year before as well. To Chelsea job was a bit of a leap whereas I think this is a, is a much more natural progression from Jared and, and it makes a lot more sense and of course he was obviously asked about Liverpool this and Liverpool that I think they play each other next weekend as well so we'll probably talk about that next week too so uh, you know they're definitely a team to keep an eye on at the moment whereas Leicester you know this actually meant Villa jumped Leicester in the table to go from 10th they went to 10th and Leicester now in 11th and like you know, considering where they were the last couple of seasons, this has definitely been really underwhelming from them. And I, you know, I wonder, you know, at what point will Brendan Rodgers be in trouble? Because I get what you're saying in the terms that you know maybe they a, a defeat was maybe an unfair result. That you know if they'd taken their chances, they could have won this game. But you know, I think this time last year, it's not it wouldn't have been a case of well, if they took their chances, they'd have won the game. They just would have had more chances and limited the opposition 
to basically nothing. Whereas now, like, you know, the narrative has become that they are conceding a lot of goals on set pieces. And, you know, that's evident here in the fact that they conceded both their goals in this game from set pieces. It's just things like that, you know, defensive issues, which has historically been a thing with Rodgers in the past. You know, we talk about Liverpool. That Liverpool team was extremely leaky at the back. And potentially is the reason they didn't win that league title that year in 13-14. You know, I feel like when things go wrong for Rodgers, they do tend to spiral in that sense. And, uh, yeah, I'd definitely be worried for him, even if, you know, performances are okay and but results aren't there. Like, that's usually a bad, bad omen. It usually means that performances start to drop off as well uh, in, in some cases. Yeah, like, I, I see what you mean there. I, I just think there is a different player deficiency happening in the back, especially. And it's individual mistakes from one or two players that he can't really replace at this point because of injuries and because of kind of limitations in the squad. Uh, and not having the relevant experience because it is centre back they're looking at really that's caused a lot of their problems um, and I think and I would hope I would say that they'll probably make a couple of signings at least like almost emergency-esque signings of more experienced hands to go into the central defence um, maybe players that are, are you know deemed surplus at other at other top clubs um, could could indeed make a make an impact at Leicester City I'm trying to think I was like Phil Jones um, <laughs> But you know, someone of that ilk of of of, of not you know not off cast of, of the big teams, but I think someone with a bit more experience and a bit more about them in terms of their physicality and a bit more pace uh, and being switched on because I think like they did okay with this pairing last season because of injuries and everything else. But like really, obviously, I think they did they lose a centre back in the first game of the season and they haven't recovered from that basically since. It was um, preseason. It was uh, pre-season, Wesley Fofana. Yeah. Oh no! Wes, that was last season that Fafana got injured. He missed the he missed the Euros over it. But they no, they this was another, this season. They signed. I thought no, they signed we, another defender. Wesley Fafana suffered a absolutely horrific injury in preseason yeah. this year. Oh, after I thought he got Euros. injured at the beginning. I caught the beginning of the before the Euros, right before it. Uh, I mean, he might have, season. but uh, he suffered a really rotten injury in a, in a friendly against oh, okay. the Spanish side. I think. But he I thought there out. was another. I thought there was another player, the, the, someone they signed in the summer that they lost injury as well, and that's why they're stuck with um, this centre back, you know, kind of trio to keep them going. And I think they they'll just need to get someone in emergency um, to kind of shore things up because offensively they have it. I think they still have it. I think I think Vardy still has it. I think. Um, uh, Kalachi and Nacho still has it. I think you know. I think the players they have going forward are, are still excellent, uh, and a, a bit of luck going the other way, they would have had better results against the likes of Arsenal, certainly in this Aston Villa match, and a few out of their more recent games. And you know, we we've said it before in previous weeks, the league is still so tight that you know teams that are on these losing streaks, they're not that cut adrift. They're not in like a relegation battle or down in a position like the whole best they can hope for is 10th place they're still within touching, touching distance of the European places and given you know we'll try not to mention Manchester United but given we don't know what's going to happen with Manchester United between now and the end of the season there is technically a fourth place uh, still up for grabs and all of these teams um, in this mid-level area could in, th- in theory dream of that position and I think Leicester are still within a shout I don't think they'll get it but I think if they can turn their defensive frailties around they, they certainly have the firepower up front to, to bring it through and I think Brendan Rodgers has the acumen uh, to take Leicester on and, and hopefully compete for a third season in a row of them just about missing out on the Champions League spots yeah I just don't see it though with, like I, I get what you mean by you know in points terms that the, the league is still 
relatively tight, but you know they're they're already eight points off West Ham and fourth. Uh, you know if Tottenham do win that game in hand, it'll be nine points off the team in fourth. Which you know considering they're nine points off and about eight places off or seven places off, you have to leapfrog that many clubs. You have to do better than that many yeah. clubs week to week. I I I don't, I don't I, see it. I think there's enough games, and you I know, think given as how well, everyone's beating each other. As well as that, the fact that in the Europa League, again, they've been really underwhelming when you consider the group that they were given. For the second year in a row, under Rodgers, it's another poor performance in Europe, and they could get knocked out from Europe this Thursday against Napoli, who, you know, will, I, I could see throwing that game, to be fair. They're going to focus they on the league. They definitely will, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that's still a really underwhelming performance from him, again, after he... You know, was poor with Celtic in in Europe. I get that in the Champions League, they were in you know groups that it was very hard to do anything with. You know, getting like the PSG and Bayern, PSG, he's not supposed Bayern, to yeah. compare compete with them. But when he get in the Europa League, he wouldn't do very well there. When you compare with even what Gerrard did with one season at Rangers, um, you know, he did very poor with Liverpool. You know, even throwing that Real Madrid game famously uh, in fourteen fifteen. So you know, that's just another element of this whole thing. You know, when you're looking at uh, where do Leicester go over the next four or five years? You'd be talking about progressing in Europe by getting into the deep stages of, of the Europa League. Because we look at West Ham uh, and we're seeing, you know, the way that they're performing. You know, they could win the Europa League this season, and then that's a route to the Champions League. So, yeah. like the the Europa League, I think will become very important over the next four or five years for um, English clubs because of the way that the top four will probably be sewn up by at the very least three clubs over the next five years. So, you know, that's at most. At best, in a given season, there's one place available for yeah. a Champions League spot, or you know, could try go for a cup trophy and then get into the Europa League and and try win the Europa League there, where the standard is actually probably not as good as as the teams competing for the the Champions League places, uh, the teams that will yeah. come fifth and sixth and seventh. So you know, by Leicester not even getting into Europe next year, like that could be a disaster for their progression. Yeah, I can see your argument there, and you, there is an argument that you're right that it could turn into the way the UEFA Cup and Cup Winners Cup were viewed in Italy in the in the late '90s as the only avenue for a lot of mid-level clubs to win something. Parma, I'm thinking of Lazio, Inter at times, they didn't have a chance to win a Scudetto, but they could do something in in these European Cups. And there is an argument that that teams like West Ham could do it. I also, you bringing West Ham into it, it's a very interesting discussion because I think West Ham are a lot more traditional of a football club, and I'm wondering. The last few years have been weird. Like we we talked about a lot of times, but it it's just been weird in terms of the football that's been played, the environment the football has been played under, the the frequency of matches, the the kind of stodginess that you know we we've gone from having a, an immensely quick, high pressing style of football in the mid of the last middle of the last decade to a very stodgy, very slow, very reactive game, in the you know over COVID times, and now we're kind of in a middle ground between those two styles at the moment and you know West Ham would have suffered I think in that that you know they would have been in relegation territory I would imagine five years ago if they played the kind of football they're playing today the kind of hard physical uh, get right up to them and, and create quick chances with two 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 very strong centre forwards at times um, and I think it's funny how say Brandon Rogers, uh, uh, his football probably would have done very well five years ago in the Premier League uh, and now it is suffering because of, of the way the, the game has turned. It's a very interesting dichotomy between the two sides and, and a part of a, you know, a sliding doors moment between which way the clubs could go. And it took 15 games, but uh, Newcastle got their first one <laughs> on the board <laughs> yeah. this this season. Uh, you know, we're talking about how tight the table is. Uh, this was enough for them to get above Norwich uh, in the league, but they're still 
three points off Watford out of the relegation zone. And despite how terrible they've been this season, they might yet still stay up. Yeah, look, well, the fact you just said it there, 15 games it's taken them to get a win, and they're only three points away from safety. Like, that's mental. Well, they didn't draw a lot of games. <laughs> they did. Well, they drew, they the, drew seven or eight games, didn't they? they have a, seven, yeah. And, and, yeah. and to be fair, I think the reason why these, <laughs> why the league is as close as it is, isn't because you know a lot of teams are beating each other. I think it's a lot of teams are drawing with each other. We're seeing a lot of clubs of seven or eight draws. A lot of the teams that have gone on long winless runs, like Brighton, they've won eight games in the last ten uh, in that run. So they're not losing, but they're they're also not winning. Um, so that's why yeah. we're seeing this uh, pattern uh, across the mm-hmm. league. Yeah, it is an interesting thing because goals are way down, uh, to be quite honest. With the exception of the top clubs, you eliminate the top clubs from statistics. And the goals this season, and you can tell by goal difference, there's only, is there only four teams in the league with positive goal difference? Uh, five now. Five teams, and they're, but only three of them are in the 20s, I think. And then the other two are, you know, barely plus one. Zero and plus one, I think. Um, it, yeah, it's... It's been a very strange season. I don't know. Is it a case that because everyone has receded a bit more post post lockdown football and our our defensive lines are deeper and everything's a lot more condensed means it's a lot harder to create chances to score goals, or whether it's something more fundamental about the quality of the attacking player that's available at the moment um, for everyone and, and it's such an even playing field between attack and defense that nobody's really scoring a huge amount of goals. Um, I don't I don't know, but yeah, it's it's. It is it is a bit of a, a weird problem that, that you have highlighted in the Premier League, especially that there's just not not a great amount between a lot of the teams and it's it's leading to an awful lot of draws and it's really condensing the league together and keeping everybody very tight. And like I said, like Leicester City in the in the last conversation there, they, they could seal I could still see them being in a, a Champions League race, but you know, mathematically they're still in the relegation battle just as much. Yeah, because like we talk about, there's been a lot of talk in general actually about the fact that, you know, it, it was only four going into the weekend that a positive goal difference. May United made a five with a plus one, which, mm. you know, could swing anyway. But when you look at the teams that have a negative goal difference, obviously that leaves the other 15 teams. Only two of them have a, a goal difference worse than uh, minus 10. So, you know, you're looking at a lot of teams that have minus one, minus two, minus three. That could all swing with a couple of weeks of the league because, you know, but just like... Of- but just like a lot of teams can pick up a couple of wins in a row, by getting a couple of wins, your goal difference obviously also improves. So, you know, we could see the likes of Arsenal, Wolves, Brighton, Aston Villa. They could all, in theory, go on a winning streak, which would also bring them up to a positive goal difference because you're, lo- you're looking at Arsenal have the worst goal difference of those teams I just mentioned. You know, you're looking at a minus three, a minus one, a minus two, and a minus three for Villa as well. Um, so, you know, it, it could swing that way as well. And I feel like these next few weeks going into Christmas and coming out of it, going up until basically the third round of the FA Cup, and I think that the draw for that is actually while we record, but going into that weekend, I think we'll actually have a much clearer picture of what the whole league table will look like as well. Because I have to imagine, you know, given the amount of games coming up, they'll be at like 20 games, I think, going into that weekend, everyone having played except for Tottenham and Burnley. You know, most teams will probably pick up a few wins there. You know, they can't keep drawing all these games, surely. It would be statistically very unlikely that they all draw all these games. You've said so it I now. think 
So I think that that, uh, that pull there between, like, I think we will see a bit of a gap open up of about three to four points between, or, or four to five points, rather, three isn't really a gap, four or more points between a, a 10th and 11th. And then at that point, we could probably say, okay, these teams are in a European battle and the other teams below are mid-table to in trouble of a relegation battle. Yeah, like, if it does shake out that way, that that will be more of a normalised season. I just... At this point, I don't know, and 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 like this season was meant to be the good season. This season was meant to be the season where we get back to normalized football, normal fun football, where we have attacking, a lot of goals, but a lot of chances. Uh, I, I think that we, we, head like, back we are Qatar. seeing we are seeing a lot of goals, though. That is the thing. Like uh, we're at two point going into the weekend. I you know I haven't obviously just this yeah, for the figures this are inflated by a few teams. Like that's my point is that but a lot I, of teams I, aren't hitting those. I don't necessarily think that though when you look at the team okay they all played 15 games right so you ignore the top three who are obviously inflating that you look at the rest of them you've got West Ham scored more than 15 they've scored 28 in fact Tottenham have got 16 May United 25 Arsenal 17 uh, Aston Villa 21 Leicester that's 23 not like. that's barely Brentford a goal 19 <laughs> but that's you're looking at two goals a game though because of the way you know if one team is scoring a goal a game and another team is scoring a goal a game they've played each other they draw one all no but in terms of in terms of like what what you want like at the bare like at, at this rate we're barely there's there's I know it'll probably well we hope it's going to get a bit better as the season goes on but at this rate you barely like what's going to be the average goal scored for for per team is about 40 goals this season like that's that's the rate we're at with some of these teams in the top half of the table um, like obviously you have the outliers you have the even Manchester United I consider an outlier in this uh, given that they have Cristiano Ronaldo and, and, and Marcus Rashford and uh, uh, Mason Greenwood and you know the obviously very exceptional attacking talent um, but uh, you know the, there isn't a, that talent in, in the other teams in the top half of the table like so I, I, it's, I think it's looking bad I think it's been grossly inflated by the performance of a few teams uh, getting high goals in matches and I thought that the early talk in the year of oh look how many goals we have and our average goals per game has gone up this season I I, I just thought, think it's a bit ludicrous because I think it, in, in isolation that stat looks impressive but I think overall as you've said earlier in the show like there's a lot more draws this season there's a lot more nil-alls, one-alls but there, there haven't actually there. like there haven't been that many nil nils though. Is my point is that there we're seeing a lot of draws. We're seeing a lot of score draws. Like we've seen one ones and two twos around the place. We were talking about a West Ham team that have beaten Liverpool and Chelsea three yeah. two in those games. You know they're the big teams but losing in high scoring big, again. Yeah, but fair. West Ham are arguably one of those big teams now as well. I don't think that that's fair though to just suddenly say West Ham just to no, suit no, the, not, the narrative. Yeah. Uh, you know, West Ham are a big team. I think we're just saying West Ham have been really good and they're scoring lots of goals. You know, Man United as well. You talk about they've to- they've scored fewer, um, yeah. and they obviously conceded quite a lot. A lot of <laughs> I suppose inflated by Liverpool putting five past them, but they'd still have a you know ignore that game. They'd still only be on a plus six goal difference, which isn't great given the money they've spent and whatnot. Um, mm. You know, like, I think we are seeing plenty of goals. We're seeing a lot, like, it's good that we have a league where we don't know who's going to finish oh, yeah, in yeah. any yeah. of the positions. Like, you know, I, I'd rather that and it had fewer goals than more goals, but we kind of knew the results of every game going into it. Yeah, like, I can see that as a as a, as a a fair argument. I just think there's a middle ground to be found. It's more to do with the philosophy of football that's being played at the moment. I find it very boring isn't the right word but very regressive um in that it, I, I prefer football where there's more chances created than not created 
But but and, what are these teams that you think are playing like that? Uh, to, in that they're not creating chances. I think most of the teams outside the top three, basically. See, I, I think, which ones though? Uh, well, if you want to like teams that you might expect to be creating chances but aren't creating chances at the moment, I think are like we, we can talk about them in a while. But obviously Everton. Uh, uh, who've ha- who've had a r- bit of a rough season? Tottenham definitely, Arsenal, Wolves. I think uh, Wolves and Brighton are two teams this season who have been berated by their own fans for not creating chances. But but the uh, problem with Wolves and Brighton specifically has been that they're creating chances and just not taking them. Like they that game, both have had plenty of games this season where they actually created plenty of chances. But like we're looking at like Neil Mope is being booed by his only fans because he's missing a bunch of sitters. Like they are clear cut chances that are just not being put away which you know there's very little that managers can do about that when their strikers just don't put balls in the back of the net when it's as abundantly clear that they should um you know you're talking about tottenham they've changed managers everton they're 16th you'd expect a team in 16th to not have scored a lot of goals they've scored um, more goals than uh, tottenham <laughs> but again <laughs> tottenham have changed managers the point yeah, and- but they've scored like they've scored a considerable like i don't think it's good and I, I'll need to do a bit more research into this and maybe I'll come back with a with an update on this next week. I don't think it's a good sign of the health of a league when the number of goals scored by a team is fewer than the amount of games they have played when they are you know, not under a tremendous amount of stress and are about to get relegated. Norwich City, fair enough, they've only scored eight goals this season. They're probably going down. Uh, but like... Uh, you know, Southampton only scored 14. Burnley have only scored 14. Uh, like Wolves, the aforementioned Wolves have only scored 12, which is very poor, given that they've played 15 goals games this season. Um, and, you know, there's aberrations in this, of course. Like Leicester City have actually done quite well in terms of the amount of goals scored. Newcastle have done quite well. Watford have done quite well. Um, and, and and the likes of Brentford as well have done quite quite well with them. But then you're looking at teams that are considered maybe a bit more attacking. The Leicester Cities of this world, the Arsenals of this world, um, the, you know, even Southampton for that, for that matter as well, given the, the, the Leeds United and stuff like that. Those type of teams, I would expect them to have scored more goals than they've played this season, given their style of football, the philosophy they have around them. And they haven't been able to. I don't know is that, what I'm saying is I don't know what's caused that. Is it because defences have got that much better? I don't think defences have got that much better. I think that a lot of that, like you can look at Southampton, they lost Danny Ings, who was like their primary yeah. goal scorer by a large margin. Yeah. Burnley are kind of the poster boys for playing that stout defensive football and not scoring a lot of goals. Fair enough. Yeah. They they have been the, the hallmark of that in the league over the last five years, basically replacing Stoke in that manner. Um, you know what was the other team you mentioned as well Newcastle are scoring goals uh, Leeds I think have had a bit of a hangover from the Euros and even just the fact Perhaps. that they ended last season quite well um, you know Watford are scoring goals Crystal Palace have been in a lot of new players Brentford are doing quite well as a promoted side um, but like Norwich the teams higher up in the table haven't <laughs> managed to score goals that's the, yeah, but, that's but the my... weird thing the team's doing better with the exception obviously of the top three and and you can make an, a you know if you want to add West Ham into that as uh, or Man United or whatever team you want to substitute into the top four for that you can give an excuse for that even though they are scoring a considerable amount less than you would expect them to score and you can go to XG tables on this as well to try and see it I I just think it's 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 just an odd thing that's happened this year and I thought you know it, it was excusable last season when you know 
games were played in a different pace and people were readjusting to ba- having fans back in the stadium and there there was a lot of weird stuff going on you can you can you can accept that but this season you thought it would get back to a bit more a bit more creative a bit more attacking a bit more a bit more of goals you know uh, but it, it's it's not happened and i'm just trying to understand why that is um but i think I, that there i don't I like that... it like i'd like there to be more goals and i know what you're saying you prefer a league that um but you, you I, I, I just think that you're over over egging that a little. Like it's not like we're seeing one goal a game in these matches, which has been the case in the past in the Premier League. Like the goals per game ratio has gone up, even if you probably exclude those top three teams. Like again, you're really only looking at the three teams in the middle of the, of the table, which is Arsenal, Wolves, and Brighton. And Arsenal's numbers are, are weird in general. Uh, you know, we could almost do a whole episode on, on Arsenal's weird statistics at the moment. Mm. And then Wolves and Brighton, as I said, like they're teams that, well, Wolves have a new manager, which is, you know, a whole betting in process there. And Raul Jimenez uh, coming back from injury and, you know, finding kind of a replacement for him as well, long term, because of the threat that he might leave. And then Brighton just, you know, this has been the problem with Brighton for like two or three years now that they create a load of chances, but they just are, you know, they can't put them away and have almost just been a statistical anomaly that uh, is unheard of in all of football history since, well, I say football history, in all of the time that football statistics have been uh, measured in in a manner that they are now. Hmm. Yeah, like, uh, I just... I'm just I'm just pointing out a trend, and uh, it's been worrying me for a while now, and I've let it breathe a bit. But you know, I I, I still be worried that we come the end of the season, we have, a, you know, we could I could easily see it. Given if if the the turn trend continues and you extrapolate it out over the season, we will only have a handful of teams with a positive goal difference, and only a handful of teams averaging more than a goal a game, and I, that's I, not I, great. I, I, I do think that the current trend right now, well, it's not even a trend, the current statistic right now that there's only, we'll say only four teams of the plus five goal difference or more. I don't think that will be the case come the end of the season. I think that right now it's just been a bit I of a statistical right. aberration. Because I as right. like I, they, as Every I, team is over, they've, like, we're almost at the 19 game mark. That's when everyone's played everyone and, and we're at this point. It's a bit, a bit worrying because, you know, if you... But that's you know, my point though, is that, okay... <laughs> we're seeing a lot of teams score goals and concede goals that's not going to move the goal difference margins that high you know it's going to stay pretty level you know we you know we almost rather see it the way that it is now because that means it's even you know we're still seeing goals scored but we don't see it physically on the the goal difference table because you know every team is scoring hmm. that's what this really means is it means every team is scoring except for norwich except for norwich poor norwich Everton have fired their director of football, Marcel Brands. He joined the club in 2018 from uh, PSV Eidenhoven. Rafa Benitez's side are winless in eight games in the league and are 16th in the table. Where does the club go from here? We, we just talked a lot about uh, you know teams that aren't winning many games. I think uh, Everton are kind of the poster boy for that right now. They did so well at the start of the season. Like They, they, they were, you know... I, did they lose the first game four 0 to United? So apart from that, they you know that was a bit of a a misnomer as it turned out. But like, like I was looking at their squad, their first team that's there. You're you're thinking that you know the director of football was sacked. 
I think that was a bigger thing than necessarily just this season. I think that was going back a bit. And I think that's an overall decision and maybe to move in a different direction than they have been going because I don't think the signings have worked out in the last few years. Everton have been noted for spending a lot of money in recent times and yet they're still using the core set of players that they had three or four years ago. Um, Like Seamus Coleman is still there. Lucas Digne is still there. uh, Jordan Pickford's still there. Keane is still there. Um... And obviously there's youth team players like Calvert-Lewin and, and different players who are, who've become key uh, cogs in the, in, the, in the machinery of Everton Football Club. And everything they've brought in kind of hasn't worked out or if they've come in, they've been in for a short time like James Rodriguez and it's kind of faded into obscurity or they've, you know, they've spent big money on signings that just haven't fit into the system or really set the world on fire like Alex Awobi with 40 million um, um, there's other players in there Fabian Delph from City I forget did they get him on a free or did they actually pay money for him but these are players that just aren't aren't going to kick them onto the next level aren't going to push them towards Europa League let alone Champions League football and a lot of that blame probably has to rest with the director of football given that Rafa's only been in for a few months and he is a proven you know winning coach um, I thought yeah the, the, this change was inevitable it'd be interesting to see where they go from here Um but in terms of their their losing run or their kind of winless run, I like I I think a lot of that can be pointed to just an inability to to convert chances, and then they they just don't have anything in midfield either defensively or going forward that's that's able to control games, and it's why they haven't like I think the last match they won it was the end of September it was against Norwich City when right when they were at the very bottom of their ebb uh, that they're on this season so that was the last game they won if not for that they would have been. You know, that Everton would be in a lot more depressing state than it already even is. Um, so yeah, we it'll be interesting to see them over the Christmas period because I think they'll have to kick back into some kind of motion at some point. Otherwise, if if the table does stabilize as you predicted in the previous part, they're going to be in a relegation battle. Yeah, like this isn't the first time now that uh, Everton have found themselves in this position in recent years. It was only what five years ago, four years ago now that they. Uh, sacked Ronald Coleman uh, when they were 16th in the table or maybe even worse than that um, you know well he ended up getting the, the Barcelona job so maybe Marcel Prance will be uh, eyeing a nice <laughs> failing upwards moment here soon but uh, yeah Everton are such a weird club because this isn't the first time they've sacked a director of football as well which I think maybe speaks to bigger problems at the club than you know who's in charge of that position you know, they had Steve Walsh come in, um, yep. you know, who they brought in from Leicester, who obviously was uh, credited very highly at the time for Leicester's league win and the signing of Riyad Mahrez and uh, N'Golo Kante. So if that's true, then he can clearly spot a player. Um, and then, you know, suddenly he's signing players for Everton that, um, you know, weren't doing anything, you know, were getting other managers sacked like Ronald Coleman. Like they had that summer there under Coleman right before he got sacked where they spent a ton of money. People were all saying, oh, they've won the window. And they brought in Davy Class, and I remember it was the big name from uh, the Europa League final losers, uh, Ajax at the time. And it was like, oh, they've, they've finally built a squad that can I challenge for Europe. And... <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. What a guy. Uh, ended up at Napoli um, after that. So, you know, I wonder, you know, how much power the director of football really has that they brought managed to bring in another one and things never really changed. They just kept buying the same type of players, making the same mistakes in the transfer window. Mm. You know, I almost wonder, is the director of football there just kind of a figurehead for, you know, someone else's actual work 
and this is the guy that you know whenever her results are bad they can just bring out and say look we sacked this guy now fans look it's gonna get better we're gonna bring in a new guy and he'll fix everything you know, um, that that would be my concern there and everything. You know, I don't know if that is the case. Maybe they did just happen to bring in two guys who both did a bad, bad, bad job in a row. You know, it's possible. But, um, you know, just given given the circumstances around it and the fact that, you know, it's only recently in the last few years that Everton have been able to start pumping money into the team and that once they've started doing that under Farad Mashiri since he's come in about five, six years ago, I think, you know, their gross spend in, in the transfer market has jump massively about 500 600 percent um from like 24 million a year to 142 million a year which is a massive jump from you know the days under bill kenride and david moyes just scraping by getting fifths with a very small budget um, free transfers every summer yeah yeah uh, that they finally got a bit of money and that there's been no real coherent plan or objective with it because like the idea when you bring in a director of football is that you know, this will be the figurehead, this will be the mastermind behind the direction of every part of the, the first team going forward. He will be in charge of who's managing the team, he will be in charge of who's coming into the team, even the pathway for young players coming in, and the style of football that the team is supposed to play. That should all be basically under the remit of the, the director of football. He will be in charge of kind of making sure all of that is going as smoothly as possible, and it will be under their plan that they'll you know decide what the definition of smooth is um and like none of that has seen the case like when i was looking through everton squad there last year i was looking at i was just thinking this is a squad assembled by six different managers with six different styles of football that they all each wanted to play and they've been left with now a seventh manager who's going to have to figure out what to do with all of them and and i look at that sucked martinez is what you're saying (laughs) yeah well, not necessarily, but when they sacked Martinez, they shouldn't have gone in the opposite direction, uh, and they shouldn't have just gone for whoever was the next big name, which at the time was Coleman. And then when they sacked Coleman again, it just felt like let's let's go for a name, let's go for Marco Silva. He's a bit of a name right now. Yeah. That didn't work out. Who else is a name? Carlo Ancelotti. He's a name. He's a Don't huge big name. Sam. You forgot Big Sam and all this. Well, Big Sam was just a you know a void relegation type figure. He only lasted six months. He was never supposed to stay very long, uh, in fairness. They never were building a long-term vision around him, is my point. Wow. Uh, but Carlo Ancelotti, he was clearly a big name. Rafa Benitez, he's another huge name. You know, he might be a Liverpool name, but he's a name. Let's get him in. And it feels like if they did sack Rafa in the next couple of weeks, they'd just go for another name. And that's really the big problem. And, you know, we talked about my, that being Man United's problem in the last few years. This has been Everton's problem on just a much smaller scale with probably bigger stakes because if they do get it wrong, they can go down despite their size. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not happened in 60, 70 years for Everton and they, they've held on to that elite status for, for a very long time. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very slippery slope. You know, there's no team that's too big to fail. Um, not in this current world and you know if they get it wrong if they can't arrest this this problem because you know Everton are playing Arsenal they're playing Palace they're playing Chelsea you know they don't get easy these these matches and they're coming thick and fast and they really need to get something and uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they get a win soon but at the same time it wouldn't surprise me if they don't and I don't know would change in a manager like Rafa seems like the right kind of guy even to be in a relegation battle with because that's the type of football you need to play in a relegation battle. You need to play controlled, tight, cagey game. And that's what Rafa specialises in. 
like I, I think some of this is definitely the, the, the players that have been absent. Like that's the real run of form that they've they've had mm. a problem with. I think having lost Calvert Loon and not having a, a natural replacement for him in the squad has really hampered hampered their development this season. I think some of the players that were brought in in the summer, even not, not to give them a bit of credit, have done well. Um, I know that th- those those signings came about for financial reasons almost that they weren't able to sign someone else stupid stupidly expensive instead but the the ones they have brought in have worked out for them but they're yeah there's a there's a bit of an elderly nature in the side there's a bit of a, a team that hasn't been fundamentally changed in five years or at least in four years and uh like i think something does have to make a move there and it's up to the ownership to make that decision one way or the other yeah, like it is very ironic in a sense, actually, that it was only when they actually had restrictions put in place on how much they can spend because, you know, the way the financial fair play rules work in England, you know, they do exist. Um, they, you can't just free-for-all spend whatever you like and uh, Everton have found that out the hard way by basically reaching the limits of those financial fair play rules and, you know, they're going to need to shed the wage bill a bit more if they want to spend going forward. Um, they found that out of the summer and that's kind of the way they went bargain hunting for a Premier League experience in Demary Gray and Andros Townsend and those guys have actually worked out um, you know they're probably not the right age profile for where they need to be but considering the kind of constraints that they had on them it was probably the best that they could have done um, and you know Rafa Benitez again is you know his experience with Newcastle has maybe made him a bit of the right man for the job here with his you know constraints that existed there as well that he can yeah. uh, steer them out of the, of the pain here but like you know, this this really needs to be a massive wake-up call that they need to completely restructure their entire, um, you know, business, basically, and how they their, their transfer business because they can't really afford to go around spending 50 million bringing in James Rodriguez for a year or whatever it was, you know, fee plus wages involved because he was on high wages. And then just 12 months later to write it off because the new managers come in and decide he doesn't rate them. Um, you know, it's it's decisions like that that are emblematic of, of the position that they put themselves in, in in this current moment. Yeah, it and it it shows the risk and the the fallacy that exists in in, in top level football that you make one bad call and you could be paying for for many years to come because you're you're hopping from one bad decision to another bad decision and and the person in charge doesn't like the bad decision made by the previous guy who was a bad decision and then he makes a bad decision and then everyone just pays in the end. Uh, and no one benefits out of it and uh, yeah you can see why a lot of player or a lot of financial people who get into football think it's crazy because <laughs> it's just like we're just throwing bad money after bad money and we're not getting any benefit and people are just angry at us for not spending enough money um and that's everything's problem really yeah and i can totally understand as well why the fans have kind of lost patience because this has been brewing for the last five or six years like it can't be easy to be a fan of a club and you know see the potential that is there because Everton are one of the biggest clubs in English football like you're right to mention that they haven't been relegated the last time they were relegated was 1950 51 uh you know they took a couple of years to get back but they've been in the Premier or they've been in the, the top flight in, in England since 1954 I think which is like the second longest run of any club in the country um, you know, and that was like the only time they'd even ever been relegated. Um, so they're not only that, like they haven't just been a mainstay in the top flight, but they've won it numerous times. You know, if it wasn't for probably the 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 Heisel ban that that meant they couldn't compete in Europe, you know, they could have been a one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Uh, but for that, oh, yeah, they would have won a European fa- Cup with with Lineker up front. No, in, in all likelihood, they probably would have. Yeah, or they would have at the very least reached uh, the latter stages and had a good chance. Yeah, it was only so like this- six games they had to win back then, so it's much easier to win. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they've won, what, seven or eight league titles, maybe more, maybe nine. 
Um, you know, them and Liverpool were the big teams in the 80s and then obviously both kind of saw a drop off in the 90s. But now, you know, obviously Liverpool are one of the best teams in Europe, let alone England. Meanwhile, they're toiling away in a relegation battle, getting humiliated at Goodison Park, losing 4-1. Um, you know, it just can't be fun to watch your team just waste its potential year after year, make poor decision after poor decision. And now, uh, you know, I don't think they will go down, but, you know, there's every possibility that they could if they continue making these poor decisions. Yeah, their their space is open for grabs. You know, we we talked about Newcastle earlier on getting their first win of the season and them only being three points away from safety. Um, they're only three points further behind uh uh, Everton at the moment though so Everton too like they in the next couple of weeks they're playing Arsenal they're playing Palace and, and Chelsea as I said and you could easily see them getting no points from that that's nine points they could be adrift in the relegation zone if if Norwich and Newcastle get their their act together in some form in the next few weeks and what do you do then do you do you uh, batten down the hatches and, and play prepare for a relegation battle for the second half of the season sign some you know get big Sam back in or like what do you do like your dreams of European football are far away at that point yeah, and, uh, you know, I have sympathy for, for Everton fans. Obviously, there's worse situations to be in. It could be, Burry. you know, uh, yeah, Bury, Derby, Bolton. You know, there's a lot of bad decisions being made at uh, lower league clubs that are having bigger ramifications. But for a club with such history and, you know, they're, they're looking to build a 52,000-seater stadium on the, on the docks of Merseyside. Like, it could be a beautiful venue from the way their plans are going. And, you know, they're showing a win- the owners are showing a willingness to invest. And it's just going all wrong, and like that's just just such a miserable place to be in a fan where you just feel so powerless. Yeah, and it's like I, I, it's it's what's worse still. You're in Liverpool, so you just have a neighbours that are half a mile down the road, and and probably most of the people you know are Liverpool fans, and they're just seemingly going to strength to strength, having not spent a huge amount of money on on a lot of their players, and and just keep on winning and keep on striving towards titles, and it, it must be so demoralizing. And, and the age profile of the squad as well. Like Obviously, they do still have a couple of young players like uh, Dominic Cavalloon and Richarlison who have quite good resale value, but they're also their best players. Like You never want it to be a situation where your best players are the ones that are, first of all, massively better than everyone else, and secondly, have a way bigger resale value than anyone else because then once they go, okay, it leaves you with a bit of money, but it leaves you as well with an old, aging team that isn't very good, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. And then you've got a manager who, first of all, the fans don't really like because of his connection with their biggest rivals, having won a Champions League with Liverpool and coming close to me in a league title over the years and is much loved by those fans. Uh, And a guy who doesn't play the most exciting football either, like as good as Rafa's been over the years. And I do think he's... appalling. (laughs) Yeah, like for as great a career as he's had, you know, has come with some very bad football, which again, just compounds all those other situations that we're talking about. Oh yeah, like it's yeah. Like I, I, I went into the season with a bit of optimism behind Everton because I thought they were going to do better than last season. I thought Rafa was the right guy, and and they did start the season quite well. But yeah, it's it's withered away, and it's it's nothing more than a distant memory at this point. And I still I still would have faith in Rafa pulling it out uh, for them and and getting this team working in a way but it's it's been quite painful if you're an Everton fan watching the performances watching the defeats week after week and really them not offering much else in response and your old heroes like Seamus Coleman making easy mistakes the young guns not really showing it their their best player being linked with constant other teams in in of a similar stature 
like Calvert Lewin's been linked with Spurs, Arsenal, Leicester City. You know, it's it's not like he's being linked to a go to Barcelona or Real Madrid, although probably Barcelona would take him in a heartbeat, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it is teams of, of a similar size and a similar stature in the game as, as Everton. And you're like, well, what are we doing wrong that all these other teams? And then you only have to look up the table at West Ham with their whole manager in fourth place, playing the football they used to play with players that probably would not look out of place as Everton Football Club uh and then striving for Champions League. It's it's a it's a funny old world. <laughs> I knew he would. He can't take it, can he? He can't take it. He just can't take it because we've out-tacticed him, we've out-witted him. Uh, you know what I mean? He just can't cope, can he? Like, you know, so. It's the final round of matches in the Champions League group stage for this season and there's uh, still a couple of places up for grabs. Uh, Tuesday night, first of all, we need to decide who will be joining Liverpool uh, coming out of Group B. Uh, you know, they have, they've absolutely dominated that group, got 15 points from 15 in what was called the Group of Death uh, at, the start of the, at the start of the season. But uh, then you've got Porto, Milan and Atletico all separated by a point. Going into that final game, Porto play Atletico Madrid and, and Milan uh, host Liverpool, who, as we alluded to earlier, will probably heavily rotate that team. So uh, does that give advantage to Milan? I'm thinking it does, be, and not necessarily because of Liverpool. I'm thinking it does because Atletico, you know, they, they probably have a fairly good chance of retaining La Liga this year. Like, there isn't a huge amount of competition there. They probably have the best squad, honestly, if you look at the teams in, in Spain at the moment. And he's like, these opportunities don't come around often and if they could you know get a bit of a run together use make the best use of the resources that they have in the squad they could easily get a run together and 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 seal la league up and is if at the cost of that they don't progress in the champions league and they go into a competition that they they probably would win quite handily you know i'm looking at it and saying yeah maybe maybe porto have a chance in this and maybe you know a draw would would suit Atletico in this in this round I think and they're not too bothered about it um, and, and this gives Milan a huge opportunity to, to get a win at home against a Liverpool side who will be rotated quite significantly and uh, you know a team that is already cut away and, and they don't really care about this game to be quite honest it feels like a League Cup game almost to them uh, and with the exception of Divock Origi I don't see a lot of the players that will be playing at the weekend uh, getting a, a call up again to, to play these games so it's an opportunity for Liverpool's you know kind of extended squad to show their value but at the same time it's an opportunity for Milan to really stake their claim as being one of the top clubs in, in Europe again and, and, and sealing their place in the in the knockout stages of the Champions League after Christmas Yeah Milan will be without uh, Rafael Leao for this game I believe I think he's a thigh or a hamstring injury which uh, you know will be a big loss for them he is but Slatter uh, uh, well, Liao has probably been their most exciting know, player yeah. this season and uh, probably their best player as well. So, you know, that's definitely going to be a loss. And Porto are the, are the team with the points advantage at the moment. They've got five to Milan and Atletico's four. So, um, you it's know, terrible, if, if we're, isn't it? <laughs> a, well, team, we're saying, a team could, t- could technically qualify with six points, you know. So we're saying that, well, I think it's just the fact that it's been really even. Um, you know, obviously they've all yeah. lost to Liverpool. That's why it's a group of death. Um, but yeah, you know, you'd, you'd almost expect it in, in an even group that it'll be a low points tally needed yeah. to go through. Um, so that's not a necessarily a bad thing. And the quality of some of these matches have been really good. Um, yeah. 
you know, I think Milan on, on the basis of the five games have probably been the best of these three teams. You know, they had that game at home against Atletico where they were heavily screwed over by the referee. Then they did actually win uh, at the Wanda Metropolitano. They, they didn't play as well against Porto, uh, but Porto got heavily beaten by uh, Liverpool home and away. Um, and Atletico have just been really poor. Um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe it is that they're focusing on the league, but they've not been very good in the league either. No. And they weren't great last year either. Like, I, I do have a lot of questions over what's going on at Atletico Madrid. They won the league, and, though. <laughs> yeah, they won the league, but, you know, they they almost threw it away after having, like, an 18-point lead. Like, they almost did one of the all-time great bottle jobs. Um, just about got over the line in what was a pretty poor year for La Liga and it's been another poor year this year as well yeah. but Real Madrid have opened up a bit of a gap as well so maybe Atletico will see that and go well actually let's just go for it in the Champions League and hope it works out but it's not on their hands anymore they need to win and they need to hope Milan don't against Liverpool and you know that's a couple of things too many you know for them to be reliant upon uh, to go through because you know, you can't when 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 another result is just so out of your hands. You know, there's very little else you can do other than just get the win that's required. And uh, mm. you know, Porto won't make that easy on them either. You know, I'll say that game. You know, could finish nil nil the way those two teams play. So uh, you know, it might be one to just keep an eye on at the very least and not yeah. necessarily watch. Uh, I'm sure it'll be very tense. Um, but yeah, I I think Milan are probably the favorites to go through here. Then Porto, then I think Atletico are a bit of a long shot. Yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, the only thing that that and people who know Portuguese football might say, like, do Porto want to be in the Europa League? That that is one one thing that we we want to think about because if they don't see this match go on their way, do they want to draw it? <laughs> do they want to, or do they want to go out of of the whole competition and 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 get a, you know a focus on the league for the second half of the season? It, it's an interesting thing to to ponder. Um, but yeah, now, now that we both said that Milan will probably go through, that means Atletico are going through. Yeah, and then uh, on Wednesday night it'll be Barcelona who have uh, all the pressure on them. You know, when you're in need, when you're in desperate need of three points in a Champions League game, going away to Bayern Munich might be the worst place to go for that. Yeah, Bayern Munich are wrapping up. You know, they're the first half of the season is wrapping up in in Bundesliga, and they're clear. They've just won a very well, a relatively controversial classic or dear classic against uh, Borussia Dortmund at the weekend. Barcelona built up to this by losing <laughs> the weekend, so it's uh, yeah, it's 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 not going to be. I, I don't have a huge hope for Barcelona in this match. The only thing you can say is that Xavi seems to have them playing a slightly better form of football. It seems to be a little bit more cohesive. Then was being played under Coleman, and the players seem to be more into it at least. Um, even if they're not getting the results at the other end of it, but yeah, given that Bayern are wrapping up, they're coming to their winter break. Like they're they're going to be a full pelt. They've just after like winning basically deciding the league title in in Germany, and wrapping it up in December. This is like at the peak of their power. So I I, I do actually expect Bayern Munich to put them to the sword and 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 really win this. Yeah, and you might say that Bayern, you know, even despite all those things, could still do a bit of what Liverpool are doing and just rest players up. But, you know, there's a lot more to this game. You know, obviously this will be, uh, you know, the A2 will be, uh, you know, not long in the memory for either of these teams. But as well, you know, the antics around the Super League, I think, will have pissed off Bayern Munich quite a lot. Um, and Barcelona are obviously still quite committed to that. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, Caroline's Rubenega, you know, the CEO or whatever it is, whatever his role is, 
director uh, over president. Bayern he's been, Munich. He's up to chairman now, I think. Like uh, Oliver Kahn okay. is now the CEO, I think. You're right, yes, you're right. Uh, but I think Oliver Kahn as well has, has made some comments, but both yeah. Caroline and Oliver Kahn is, the head off you, like. Rumenega has basically come out and said, "Yeah, we kind of want to crush Barcelona." Was yeah. the 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 hidden meaning behind the words he was choosing? Uh, you know, very angry about the Super League still. And then you've got the likes of Thomas Muller, who's been very unsympathetic to uh, teams in this situation in the past, saying quotes along the lines of, "We want to crush them." Yeah. Um, we you want know, to eat and- their children. Yeah, so uh, this is a Bayern Munich side that uh, they they don't usually show mercy. Uh, and I don't think they're inclined to want to show mercy against this Barcelona team who they've already mercilessly beaten re- in the recent past yeah. um, at home as well. I don't think they want to be embarrassed at home. And, and the thing with Barcelona as well is they need a win. Like a draw won't be good enough if Benfica get the win against Dynamo Kiev, which, you know... Looks likely, yeah. That's, that's the most likely outcome. Obviously, Benfica could bottle it, you know. As they tend to do in the last 50 years. And, and they have... You know, already picked up a draw against Dynamo Kiev that puts them in the position where they need to win instead of a draw being enough, uh, or just matching Barcelona's result even. And they did have that epic miss in the new camp from uh, Severovic in the ninety whatever minute that it was the miss of the season. If they don't go through here, you know, it'll be the moment that might haunt that guy for the rest of his life if they don't win this game. So, you know, just for his sake, I hope they win this. Yeah, it, it it might well do. Like, yeah, the the more you talk about it, the more it does sound like the the writing on the wall for Barcelona and, and the rest of that group. The only thing to take into account is I think Germany have gone back to uh, behind closed doors matches. Um, so the, there won't uh, be any 50, fans. 50 capacity, yeah, fifty percent capacity. Oh, it's a fifty. I thought it was like only. Oh, I thought it was a lot fewer than that, and I thought that might make a difference and make make it feel more like a training match, and and Barcelona might be able to perform better. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, maybe not. Maybe this this match is over before it even started. Yeah, and that that I think uh, does actually build up a lot of a lot to look forward to in the Champions League this week. Obviously, there's all also Premier League games as well that we'll discuss uh, next week as well. So until then, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Medium page in the show notes. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Conbon27, C-O-N-B-O-N, and myself at CheesyHeartPun, C-H-E-E-S-Y-H-I-R-T-E-P-U-N. Most of all, thank you for listening, and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.